Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. My name is Claire and this is 30 minutes of science on your radio. All the science that you can handle really. And with me this week is, of course, Chris and Stu. Hello. Hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, hello. And um, Chris, I know you always um, have some good science for us. Is it physics this week or is it something different? What have you got for us? Well, firstly, Claire, let me just say thank you for setting me up with high expectations there um, for, for good science. But I'll, I'll do my best. It is kind of physics. It's astrophysics. Does that count? <gasps> yeah, of course. Yeah, Excellent. yeah, yeah. It's in the family, isn't it? It's one of my favourite kinds of physics. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, everyone loves a bit of astro. It's just like the, the universe is a fascinating place. And we all live there, yeah. to be honest. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Do we have a choice? No, not that I, not that I know of, but we're working <laughs> on it, Stu. Now, this is actually something you may have seen in the news, a discovery from Australia, um, of all places, mm. of a mysterious radio signal emanating from the centre of our galaxy. Yeah, it's just one of those kind of weird things, some perhaps a new astronomical <gasps> phenomenon. Is this... And Hang on. Are we talking uh, little green people? Uh, no, we're not. I oh, just say that. Dang. In, fact, in fact, I am a little bit surprised that uh, that hasn't been mentioned a lot that I've seen in the in the online discourse around this discovery. Because normally everyone just jumps on a weird radio signal and goes, oh, it's the aliens. But uh, yeah, no, there's been very little of that. Partly because this one doesn't look like an alien signal. It's just, a, it's just this kind of... It's more, I suppose, random, more um, varying in brightness. It's, yeah, it's a strange thing that doesn't match any kind of expectations of um, either known astronomical phenomena or what we would think ETs would do. So, um, right. yeah, look, it's interesting. I'm going to have a bit of a talk about that, uh, what they found, uh, how they found it, and, yeah, why it's interesting, I guess. But, you know, it's interesting because it's out in space and we all like space. That's right. Unknown astrophysics. Oof. Very interesting. Oof, yes. Looking forward to it. And Stu, what do you have for us this week? Well, lucky that you brought up little green aliens. I'm basically going to be talking a little bit about some real science, some real earthly down-to-earth science, but also how some people with wacky ideas about how the universe works can kind of do some dodgy things in the name of their beliefs and I'm talking about people who think not only do aliens exist and that they've been visiting Earth but they are being hidden away by secret government organisations. That leads them to make some pretty questionable decisions about how they approach science and how they use science to further their own agendas, which is which is a pretty dodgy thing to do, really. Absolutely. So we'll be um, debunking some uh, little green myths. Yeah, definitely. And it was a while ago, the, the, the case of the Atacama mummy, which I'll be looking at. But the, the sort of... the after Aftermath is still, it's still ongoing. It's an ongoing story, which is why I thought I'd just check back in and see how that's going. Fascinating. Well, we've got some uh, space stories um, in our show. So without any further ado, on with the show.
you are listening to Lost in Science, and as we mentioned in the introduction there, we're not talking about aliens. People are not suggesting this mystery signal is from aliens, which is... <laughs> Look, I think it is kind of surprising because people do, as we said, normally jump on that. And they had mm. done so in a big way before. Um, Claire, you mentioned the little green people. Yeah, I did. I mean, whenever whenever there's a mystery radio signal from, you know, somewhere in the universe, obviously my mind goes to, oh, it's aliens. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Do you, were you aware that, like, when um, when pulsars were first discovered uh, in 1967 by Jocelyn Bell Burnell, standard good example of a woman who made a great discovery but missed out on a Nobel Prize. But, yeah, when the pulsars were first discovered, they were given the abbreviation LGM. <gasps> Little green men, men. in this case, yes. They this... Were. Yeah, because what there was, I mean, let's just go, I'll just go over what pulsars were again, for those people who cannot remember. They are, they are neutron stars, and neutron stars, of course, are collapsed giant stars you know go off in a supernova and the core collapses down to just neutrons is all that's left um so it's kind of like a giant atomic nucleus just made out of neutrons and these neutron stars often um they will give off a beam of radio waves from their magnetic pole um and the magnetic pole like with the earth is not necessarily aligned with their rotation so the beam kind of rotates as the star rotates and when it passes us we see a pulse and the speed of the pulses depends on how fast the neutron star is rotating. So yeah, they, they discovered these regular pulsing signals and thought, oh, that looks like it could be an artificial phenomenon. But of course it turned out to be a natural phenomenon, a very widespread natural phenomenon um, that has since taught us a lot about the universe. But this new signal is kind of more random and intermittent. So not a pulsar as far not as Not a pulsar. Not even not a, a pulsar. weird pulsar? No, not, no, not even, no, they, They've looked for that. They've looked for any signs that it could be a pulsar. Um, there, there is some suggestion it could be a magnetar, which is is a kind of weird pulsar. Um, a magnetar uh, is a it's a neutron star that has an extremely strong magnetic field, and I think there's only like a couple of dozen of those known in the universe, but um, they have they have a bit stranger phenomenon than yeah. uh, neutron stars. We're talking like an extremely strong magnetic field here. You think you might think that the magnets that hold your bills to your fridge are strong. These um these magnetic fields can rip apart photons. They're like so so strong. That's that's a strong magnet. That's a strong magnet. Yeah, I don't even know how that works, but oh my god, that's a strong yeah. magnet. Look, that's, that's down the track. We'll get to talking about what these things could be. But uh, let's talk about what actually happened. So this was um, this was found, um, well, the lead author in the paper um, is a University of Sydney PhD student, Ziteng Wang. And he was working on a dedicated project to seek out strange new phenomena using ASCAP, the Australian Square Kilometre Array Pathfinder. Now, um, radio astronomy is, it is a bit of a strange thing. It's a bit different to normal astronomy that you're aware of with you know with optical telescopes as you've probably seen the big dishes the pictures of the big dishes that use like um in the movie the dish for instance <laughs> or maybe the movie you remember the movie golden eye where there's the arecibo <gasps> yeah. radio telescope yeah the Do you remember that? In, a, in a volcano crater or Caldera. pierce brosnan 1996 can't go yeah. wrong you can go wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, so the Arecibo Radio Telescope was this huge dish in a in a um, volcano crater. Because um, the bigger the dish you've got, the, the better you can catch faint signals, but also you can get good spatial resolution of the you know, things you're trying to see. That telescope is no longer in operation, sadly. Um, it was decommissioned 
last year and then collapsed in December 2020 uh, before they had fully properly decommissioned it and kind of collapsed and they went, oh, well, we're going to take it apart anyway. But as you can imagine, it is challenging to build giant dishes like that. But with radio telescopes, you can kind of cheat a little bit because um, you don't need to have one giant dish. You can actually have a lot of smaller dishes spread over a wide area that does the same job as a giant dish. They, they act like a giant dish. They act like a giant dish, yeah. And you may have seen these in the movie Contact with Jodie Foster. That's where, right, yes, yeah. of course. She did what all um, radio astronomers do, which is sit down and plug her headphones in and listen to what's going on. They don't do that. But this is where the Square Kilometre Array comes in, which is a project to build a very large radio telescope, as the name suggests, covering a square kilometre. So yeah, the Square Kilometre Array or the SCAR project. I think it was first conceived of like a couple of decades ago, um, maybe when SCAR was you know, having its <laughs> most recent resurgence. It might have been thought of a really long time ago, but it took a really long time for the government to pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Yes, but it is like it is a very big project. Um, it's scheduled to be completed around 2030 uh, at the rate it's going. Um, and it's kind of a joint thing because there's going to be different components of it in Australia and South Africa. Wow. Um, yeah, whereas, but so, yeah, this one, this ASCAP, the Australian Square Kilometre Array Pathfinder, is kind of a test site. It's in a quiet, radio quiet spot in Western Australia. It is 36 antennas spread over 4,000 square metres. That's probably about, what, um, one 250th of the size that the final thing is going to be because I think a square kilometre is like a million square metres so it's got to be a bit bigger than it is you can see why it's taking so long to build so they were doing this project to look for using this the, the ASCAP to find these weird things in the sky and sometime early 2020 they found towards the centre of our own galaxy they found a signal which they called they named after its coordinates it's called ASCAP J173608.2-321635 I mean, astrophysicists, they really know how to name things, don't they? Well, what would you call it? George. Uh, (laughs) It's a big universe, okay? We run out of names very quickly, I think. Generally what they do, they give it some very technical name. It's like a catalogue name. But if it gets significance, then it gets a popular name. Usually, I think you're fine with these things. But anyway, this one was strange. So basically, it was nothing there. And they found this thing that became very bright. Like it, um, its brightness increased by a factor of about 100 and then it kind of switched on and off apparently at random. I think the original sighting, it took about several weeks before it disappeared. Um, this weird kind of stop-start signal that they saw. Even stranger, well, you know, to them was strange. It may not mean much to you, but it was, um, it had a very polarised signal coming from it. It had circular polarised beam coming from this object. You familiar with polarised light? Like, is that why I wear Polaroids? Yeah, polarised light is because, you know, so electromagnetic waves, they're a a wave that oscillates perpendicular to the direction that's travelling. And if they're kind of going up and down in one direction but not in the other direction, that's called a linear polarisation. And that's what your um, your polarised sunglasses are filtering out. Circular polarisation is where it's kind of rotating the direction that it's oscillating due to the different things being out of phase. It's complicated, but the point is that it's kind of a very specific property that radio waves can have. And you often don't get it when it's just emitted by kind of random sources of clouds of gas and stuff just mucking around doing random stuff in the in the universe. Pulsars themselves often give off a circular polarised 
um, waves, but it's yeah, it's not a it's a specific kind of type of signal that you don't often see. So yeah, it was kind of a weird thing. So they did they detected some six signals over about nine months um, in 2020. So they tried to figure out what it was. They thought, well, maybe it's coming from some sort of star that's giving off flares because they can give off, you know, the, the big electromagnetic action with um, flares can give off radio waves, but they couldn't find anything in visible light when they looked at it through a optical telescope. They Next, they went to the, the Parkes radio telescope, which is famous for finding pulsars. So think about half the pulsars in that we're aware of have been found by the Parkes radio telescope. Uh, they got them to have a look and they couldn't find anything. They basically said, no, it doesn't appear to be a pulsar. So then they went to a South African telescope called Meerkat. Yes, Meerkat. Brilliant. It's, Cat is capitalised. It stands for the Karoo Array Telescope. It's another actual oh. kind of SCAR project. And they got them to have a look because they're another large telescope and they're very sensitive. And they managed to catch it again. Um, but this time it kind of disappeared over a single day, even though it lasted for weeks previously. But yeah, they managed to catch the signal again. But again, there wasn't any sign that it was a, a pulsating um, signal. Just this kind of random beam that was being emitted. They managed to find it again, but they have none, none the wiser as to what it actually is. Like I said, it could be something weird happening with a particular pulsar, because that's the obviously the best thing that anyone can think of that does it that does anything like this. Um, it could be a magnetar. There are these other things, because it's near the, the um, centre of the galaxy, there are these things called galactic centre radio transients. And a few of them have been seen. They're kind of similar in behaviour. There's one that's been called the cosmic burper, because it gives off kind of a long kind of loud signal. So it could be related to the galactic centre radio transients. However, we don't know what they are either. So doesn't really enlighten us much further i guess if if it is one of those so it's a mystery as is the moment and mysteries are great the universe is very big and we're just sitting on here on earth looking out you know we can't expect to have found everything that's out there already it's it's nice to find new things and when we do find something new like when we found the pulsars they can tell us so much about the universe i mean pulsars gave us ways of finding out other things about how stars evolve you can look at changes in their pulsation to see any signs of gravitational waves passing by um they give us a clue to what subatomic particles do they told us a lot about the universe so you know hopefully this will be something interesting as well um, we obviously can't say what it is until we figure out what it is which may be difficult but you know I think it's worth it and hopefully one day we'll have an answer to what is ASCAP J173608.2-321635 actually is. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network you're listening to Lost in Science. Atacama Desert is the driest non-polar desert on Earth. 
and it's the only true desert to receive less annual precipitation than the two poles as well. So it covers 100,000 square kilometres of land on the Pacific coast of South America, west of the Andes mountain range and situated mainly in Chile but extending up into Peru in the north. The desert doesn't seem from that description like a very hospitable place but humans certainly had settled the area along the coast as early as 7000 BCE so around about 9000 years ago there was settlements along the coast they established fishing villages despite the harsh climate there was still apparently reasonable fishing to be had uh, along the edge of the sea on the site of one of these villages in 2003 a mummified skeleton was found which presented supposedly unusual features and caught the attention of a number of scientists and other people as well we mm. won't call them scientists <laughs> okay. the the skeleton is only 15 centimeters long and it appears to be a human skeleton it has arms and legs and a head mm. and, it's, and it's reasonably human looking but the size is no larger than a human fetus so at 15 centimeters long it's very small mm. but the bones are hardened as much as would be expected in a six-year-old child so this is the first point at which people said that's really unusual um, that, of course, immediately led to claims by some people, including people associated with the UFO truther movement who insist that extraterrestrials are being hidden by world governments from the rest of us and we're not being privy to this secret information. Basically, they immediately said, it's an alien. And this is the, this is the response to anything that's a bit unusual. And I mean... I don't, I don't want to, you know, uh, bring up the the name of William of Ockham, but if you if you're looking at a skeleton that was found in what was known to be a human settlement and it looks like a human skeleton, uh, I would immediately assume it's probably a human skeleton. Uh, but no, these people insist that in fact it's an alien, which for some reason was buried near this human settlement. So, so these people who claim it's an alien, they think it's an alien, but just is it just because of its size? It's because of its size. There's a couple of minor details that they claim that it's, that it's not shaped like a normal fetus would be shaped, and there's other abnormalities which they're claiming, uh, you know, backs up this story. Look, I guess if you if you believe that there are aliens being hidden by governments, then it's working backwards. I mean, they're going to be easy to hide if they're only fifteen centimeters tall. That is true. That is true. Um, you know, area fifty, area fifty one. If you reverse the numbers, fifteen, <gasps> fifteen centimeters. Maybe it's all maybe it's all coming together. But. What actually happened was this skeleton was acquired by one of these groups called the Disclosure Project and samples were sent to geneticists in an attempt, obviously, to prove their theory correct. So they were trying to find out the, the uh, DNA of this alien. Mm. At this point, I should just point out, 
it might not even be possible to identify alien DNA with earthly mm. DNA analysis techniques. And we are making a huge assumption that alien life would even have DNA as its base. So why would, you know, it's, it's, you're checking for something on the assumption that that's how it will definitely work, even yeah. though we've got no evidence that that's how it works. We're, we're just guessing anyway. But look, yeah. they did it anyway. They sent, they sent it away to get the DNA checked. What they found was that the skeleton had human DNA. Uh, they did note some possible genetic anomalies uh, in the DNA, which might explain the supposedly unusual appearance. Uh, and the reports from this analysis were published way back in 2018. Remember 2018? Probably not. A lot's happened since then. We're not really concerned with genetic analysis from 2018 so much uh, in 2021. But soon after the samples were sent off to the US, it was published and it seemed as though the mystery was solved. It seemed that it was a premature human baby which had been buried near a town where its parents probably lived. It was in the desert. It became mummified because it's a really dry environment. And here's the end of the story. That seems like a pretty straightforward explanation for, a, for, a, for an interesting discovery, nonetheless. But at this point, the story takes a turn. And this is, it's interesting that scientists, you know, one of the things that scientists do is, is look at each other's work and, you know, question it a little bit and say, why have we actually done this? Have you done this the right way? What, in fact, were you trying to find out? So several scientists from other fields of medicine outside genetics began to raise questions about the study of the skeleton and the motivations behind that study. So a paper was published in the International Journal of Paleopathology, you know, just when you thought, uh, you know, you couldn't find a more niche field of science, here comes the, the International Journal of Paleopathology, uh, which questioned the findings of the genetic analysis. And they claimed after their own examination, they found no serious anomalies in the development of the skeleton for a fetus of its calculated age. So this was a premature baby. These medical experts said, well, that's a perfectly normal skeleton for the age of that, of that fetus mm. that, they, that they're calculating. Uh, they went on to suggest that the original paper, which was published in Genome Research, was based on analysis done in bad faith and with questionable ethical motives behind it. So they're actually sort of going right to the heart of the matter and saying, you probably shouldn't have been doing this in the first place, let alone that your results and what you found were probably a bit dodgy. So these scientists who, who wrote this second paper argued that there was no real reason to have removed the skeleton at all. And they insisted there was no justification for the genetic analysis based on their assessment of the mummy. What they said was that if they'd uh, allowed other uh, medical experts to examine the skeleton initially, they would have realised it was probably not that unusual and mm. they probably should have left it where it was, put it back where they found it and not even made a big deal of it in the first place. Um, they also found that the suggested genetic mutations found in the DNA analysis would not have been apparent in skeletal development at such an early stage of development. So they don't really relevant to any supposed anomalies in this skeleton. Um, 
and really what they're saying is, yeah, they might have been genetic anomalies in there, but that probably wouldn't be visible in the development of this tiny uh, human skeleton at this stage. Now, the original scientists who performed the genetic analysis have actually apologised. They've, they've responded to this criticism. And what they've said is they were only given a very tiny sample of the skeleton for analysis. They were given what they said was about a cubic millimetre of material to analyse, which is a really, really tiny amount. They didn't actually have the entire skeleton to look at. So they were basing their analysis purely on this genetic sample that they'd been given to analyze. And they didn't know the background of the origin of these samples. So they were sent the samples as a kind mm. of, um, you know, uh, contract job to do right. this analysis. They published their results and, you know, they didn't really understand that, that the motives of whoever sent them the samples may have been questionable to begin with. Um, they've also, those scientists who did the genetic analysis, they've also attempted to have the remains returned to their original location and left undisturbed rather than remain in the hands of a private collector, which is effectively what they are. Someone has mm. taken human remains from their original resting place and they're hanging on to them for their own reasons, uh, which which don't appear to be you know really in good faith. Um, I think the reason this story kind of caught my attention was that I don't think any of the scientists have actually done anything wrong in this case. Some people were given uh, some some genetic material, which they then analyze, which is what they're, that's what they do. That's their genetic, you know, DNA analysts. They analyzed it in good faith, presented their results. And, you know, some other people said, hang on a second, why did we even start doing this? The real, the real uh, sort of ethical questions are with the people who originally recovered this skeleton and are presenting it as something that it's not. And that's mm. ultimately what is going on. So the UFO truthers, uh, including the, um, you know, the original owner of this skeleton mm. who hasn't returned it and has not recanted anything that they've suggested about this, they're still saying this is an alien. And so they're, you know, regardless of all the scientific evidence, they're still promoting that actually, yeah, this is this is an this is an alien uh, skeleton that we've recovered from what we know is a human settlement, and it's you know they're, they're still promoting that this is uh, evidence of their global alien conspiracy that the governments are all hiding, even though they've got zero evidence whatsoever. So I think you know what this does actually show is that the scientists have been relatively ethical, and when they've been you know, asked to comment. They've said, yeah, actually, you know, we, we believe we should return this to where it was. And it's it's kind of a, um, uh, you know, people in the paleontology and anthropology sciences have been for years saying we've got to stop doing this yeah, uh, colonial approach to things. And this is exactly what these, these UFO truther types have actually continued with is like, no, no, no. It's, it's something beyond you and this doesn't belong to the people of this country. It belongs to someone else. And that's, you know, it's really against the the, uh, the philosophy of, you know, discovery that, that most scientists are interested in.
That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsight at Gmail. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook Uh, And if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost Lost in science. listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.